Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode includes some thematic material. I want you to be aware before you listen in the presence of little ears. The principles of honesty and integrity that Sam Lehman founded his business on continue today over 55 years later at Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Owned and operated by the Birchie family, Sam Lehman in Eureka appreciates the support they've received from their customers all over central Illinois and beyond. Visit them today at laymangm.com. Junie Felix is a brilliant woman who loves God and loves others well. From her extensive study of behavioral design, she has some fascinating insights to share so we can begin to apply tiny habits to create lasting change in our lives. We're also going to discuss how to apply this specifically as a trauma survivor with wisdom from her book, You Are Worth the Work. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Junie. Oh, it's just a pleasure to be here. I'm overjoyed. I'm just happy to be talking to you, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And you have mentioned before on your own podcast, you grew up homeless, abused, and neglected as a child. So as much as you're comfortable, will you elaborate on your childhood and your journey through trauma and recovery? Yes. You know, I appreciate you saying as much as you're comfortable. And it's just such a loving statement because, you know, that's always uncomfortable. It's like somebody asking you, so what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And then you're like, oh, but yeah, with me being a trauma survivor, a complex trauma survivor is something that I, I knew the Lord would redeem because that's our heavenly father. He, you know, he's in the business, his speciality, as Obi-Wan Kenobi might say, is fixing, mending broken things. So yeah, I had a childhood that was filled with what is officially called ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences. And that's the acronym that I'm so glad is gaining some uh, traction in conversation when it comes to mental health and recovery, because children who are exposed to prolonged instances of trauma, abuse, chaos, hunger, want, and need, you know, now we're gathering in communities where there's a lot of compassion and understanding going on. So yes, part of my story, a very tiny part of my story is the fact that I was born into a whirlwind, just pure chaos. My father was a drug addict, an alcoholic, a very abusive person. And my mom, she was very ill with multiple diagnoses my entire life until she went to be with Jesus and 2015, I can remember as early as age five, knowing that I needed to rise up and do what I could to help care for her. So in addition to all of the homelessness and the hunger and the poverty and the abuse and the chaos, I was, you know, just this weird little kid that decided, as many children who are born into a whirlwind, who aren't dealt the safe, happy, healthy home card, you know, many of us, we we get really creative about ways to survive and we rise up even as early as four or five to do what we can to bring some sort of sanity into our situation. I think one of the most traumatizing but most helpful examples I can share with you and your listeners is there was a time in particular where I was uh, uh, between close to nine years old and we were homeless and uh, we were in between shelters. We were in between situations where we actually had a place to live and we were uh, living in a car. And at that young age, eight, going on nine, uh, being hungry and asking uh, the adult that I was with for food. And that adult looked at me, looked me in my eyes and punched me in my face. And I'm sorry, little little ears warning here, but that traumatic experience was one that really echoed and resonated into my future. And after the punch, the adult threw an orange at me. And so the reason that this is such a helpful example, as disturbing as it may be, is that 
when I started doing the discovery work necessary for healing, as a teenager, I just became a researcher, even earlier than that. From the first time I was nine years old and I loaded up my wagon at school to conquer the quest of the Oregon Trail. Do you remember that, Laura, on the Apple IIe? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I pressed that start button as a, a little bitty kiddo, age nine, I just knew that I had to figure out how things work. So I couldn't take my first computer programming class until the 10th grade because they didn't offer the elective in the younger grades. But I love researching and finding out how things work. And I knew, even as a child and a teenager, that all the pain, the echo from that trauma was affecting me in ways that I, I didn't want. And so I started researching as a teenager ways to recover. And the discovery work that's necessary for true and lasting sustained recovery, we're all on a healing journey. Every human being is on a healing journey. But for those of us with complex trauma, which is the official term for it, layers of complex trauma, our healing journey is really complicated by all the ongoing triggers in our lives that stir up that old pain. So if you think about what you would have done as an eight-year-old punched in the face for being hungry, think about the ways that your entire being would respond, Laura. As a child, what's one of the things or two of the things that you think as a kid you would have decided based on that experience about life on planet Earth? I can see where you would think I can't have needs and I certainly can't communicate those because that's not safe. Right. Perfect. And hunger is not good. And all the things that you come up with as a child. But then time passes and chronologically, you're moving along this timeline and you're getting bigger and you're getting taller and your responsibilities are increasing. You've got the echoes of that trauma. So for you or your listeners, there's, there's a core event. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Inside Out, the Pixar movie. Yes, um, I have. Whoever was on their mental health part of their screenwriting team, they really nailed it. Mm -hmm. Because for a lot of us who are adults now, decades later, the effects of the traumatic core memories, they echo into our lives in very specific ways. And so, yeah, hunger's bad. So guess what that does to my dietary lifestyle, Laura? <laughs> Hunger's bad. Avoid it at all cost, right? But until I did the discovery and recovery work to realize, hey, that's an echo from that trauma, hunger's not bad. Hunger's normal. Hunger's human. Okay, what do I do instead? You know, so our traumatic experiences, they influence and affect our lives in very specific ways, which is why I hope that your listeners and anyone who grabs the book will just grow in this discovery process to a place of self-compassion so we can see ourselves as God sees us, as his kids that are doing a really great job at clinging to him despite the chaos and the trauma and the pain. Well, and you may have already named one of those right there. But as you do reflect back on your own recovery journey, which pieces of the puzzle were most transformational for you? In recovery? Oh, there's so many. As far as most transformational goes, when I was in the 11th grade, as I mentioned, my mother was sick my whole life. I never knew her well. And so in the 11th grade, I was blessed to be able to go to school for half the day. And then for the other half the day, I worked to help support my family, my siblings and you know, pay bills, keep the lights on, keep the water running as best I could. My older sister and I, you know, we did a lot. So I'm, I'm going to school half the day. I'm carpooling to an insurance agency where I worked as a data entry processor at the age of 17. And I had a lot of tech jobs in high school, which which were really fun. But uh, this was this was a fun, easy one where I could earn money to help support my family. And in the carpool headed there, a kind woman, her name is Linda Jarvis. She gave me my first Bible, NIV study Bible for teens. And she didn't pressure or preach. She just said, this might help you to understand about your worth. And at the time, I believed I absolutely had no worth, but I accepted the Bible, thanked her. And when I started reading, Laura, I couldn't put it down. And in the pages of God's word, I discovered what God feels about me, what God says about me. And part of my experience is just ongoing, relentless, nonstop verbal abuse. And when I started reading about what God says about me, it was so different from what I had been conditioned to believe. I didn't think I had any worth for a reason. I was taught that I was worthless. So when it comes to recovery and the most influential thing in my journey is the word of God and prayer. 
So I was discipled by God through his word. And one of the first things he did was he taught me how to pray. So that's the top number one of the list of things that have helped me the most in my recovery journey. Wow. And that woman who gave you the Bible, was that your first time hearing about Jesus? You know, she didn't even talk about it. I really feel like she just listened to the Spirit of God. And God knows what the person, the individual that he wants to reach in that moment needs the most. And so she just gave me the Bible and said, this might help you to understand what you're worth. You know, so I met Jesus through the pages of his word, which is really, really neat. (laughs) That is. That's incredible. So you had not heard of Jesus before you read the Bible. Is that right? Well, well, not necessarily. I'd heard of him from people who said that they knew about him, but their behaviors were so chaotic and harmful and not helpful. You know, Jesus was just like um, SpongeBob, you know, you know, he exists, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> you know, so that, that might be a little flippant, but it's true. I'd heard of Jesus. You know, we live in the United States. There's Jesus stuff everywhere. But, you know, it's it's totally different to hear about him than to know him. Totally different. Oh, that's well said. In your book, what do you mean when you say that God is a systems guy and that human behavior is systematic? Oh, thank you for asking. I love this question, Laura. All right. So human behavior is systematic. I am a member of the Stanford Behavior Design Lab teaching team. And for decades, our founder and my mentor, Dr. B.J. Fogg, ever since the early 90s when he was a student at Stanford, uh, he hacked the system. He found, he made it his mission to find the formula for human behavior, and he did. And the results of that decision are everywhere today. I won't go too deep into that, but there is a formula for human behavior. It is an E equals MC squared equivalent. And it is simply this. Behavior happens when. So B is the behavior. And then there's an equal sign. Motivation, ability, and a prompt converge at the same moment. And then the desired or even undesired behavior occurs. So there's a formula for human behavior. And behavior design is a comprehensive system for thinking clearly about how human behavior and psychology actually works. Now, you can dig into the science and have a lot of fun and find a lot of breakthrough and create a bunch of products, systems, and services that will work. Or you can go a little deeper, look deeper at the reason that behavior is systematic. And it's because our God, the maker of the multiverse, the maker of the realms, he is systematic. Look at nature. There's order. There's not chaos. There's systems that are working everywhere all around us. You know, our heart is beating because God told it to. We have a cardiovascular system. We have a respiratory system. I could go on and on, a muscular, a skeletal system because God is a systems guy. And he does that because he's also love. And that's why human behavior is not random or unpredictable. It's systematic. And once you understand the system, and it's so simple and beautiful because love is that way, then you can design recovery strategies that will work. Recovery strategies just for you that will incrementally, because God loves tiny, lead you to breakthrough. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka has been owned and operated by the Birchie family for over 25 years. A lot has changed in the car business since Sam and Stephen's grandfather, Sam Lehman, opened his first Chevrolet dealership over 55 years ago. If you visit their dealership today, though, you'll find that not everything has changed. They still operate their dealership like their grandfather did, with honesty and integrity. Sam and Stephen understand that you have many different choices in where you buy or service your vehicle. This is why they do everything they can to make the car buying process as easy and hassle-free as possible. They are thankful for the many lasting friendships that began with a simple, welcome to Sam Layman's. Their customers keep coming back because they experience something different. I've known Sam and Steven and their wives my entire life, and I can vouch for their character and integrity, which makes it easy to highly recommend you check them out today. Your car buying process doesn't have to be something you dread. So come see for yourself at Sam Layman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Sam and Steven would love to see you, and they appreciate your business. Learn more at their website, laymaneureka.com, or visit them on Facebook by searching for Sam Layman Eureka. 
You can also call them at 309-467-2351. Thanks for your sponsorship. You mentioned that word tiny, and I know that tiny habits have been transformational to you, and hopefully they can be for anyone listening today, too. So, Junie, will you elaborate what are tiny habits and why are they so powerful? I'll be glad to. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm a member of the teaching team for uh, Dr. B.J. Fogg's Stanford Behavior Design Lab, and I believe, I'm certain about this, I'm the only one that calls behavior design the science of love. Uh, It might be catching on and more people are saying it, but it is the science of love because our God is love, and love is tiny. You know, if the big $30,000 wedding or the $20,000 honeymoon or, you know, the huge celebration of love that happens for many people when they get married, if that was enough, if that great big thing was enough, then there are certain numbers, statistics about our relationships that would be different, you know? The, the, the number of families that are broken, the number of couples that don't make it, it's because of this fundamental misunderstanding of how human behavior works. Tiny Habits is a method that we use to help others to grow in the mindset, the transformational mindset of thinking tiny that leads to the identity shift that's necessary to have a sustained life filled with things that you want. And when it comes to the science of love, tiny works best. And it's the only thing that's sustainable, tiny, small, incremental growth. You'll see that in scriptures like Zechariah 4, you know, don't despise the day of small things. What about Jesus? He says the tiniest seed is the mightiest, the mustard seed, right? Tiny is mighty. And so with tiny habits, you learn the art of change. Change is a skill. And you learn how to celebrate every tiny victory, which actually wires the new desired habit into your holistic being so you can keep moving forward in your recovery journey. So tiny habits is one of my favorite methods for achieving sustained change. And in the recovery journey, sustaining it is so important because if you don't know how, then you're going to keep falling flat on your face with these big goals. Goals do not work. We know this. Anybody who's ever been on a diet knows this. Goals don't work, but systems do. And once you use the formula for human behavior and a proven model, globally proven model, because humans are humans, no matter where your plane lands, you can design a system filled with tiny celebrations that will keep you moving forward sustainably in your recovery journey. You have four four children, right? All girls. Correct. So God is this way. You know, he says, "Who? what parent will give their child a snake? You know that passage? It's in, uh, where is that? Matthew 7. Yes. No parent's going to give their child a, a snake. And, um, you know, if you being evil, Jesus says, which sounds really harsh, know how to give your children good things. How much more? God, you know? So keep that in mind as I share this, because God sees you and me from age, you know, zero to 120 years old. He sees us as his kids. That's in 1 John. We're children of God. And when our kiddos, especially when they're babies, when they do something, even something that they really didn't have much to do with, like grow a tooth, you know, how much effort does it take to grow a tooth? It doesn't, right? But guess what? We celebrate. We take the the phone out. We're, we're, we're posting to Instagram. Guess who got their first tooth? Guess who said their first word? Guess who rolled over today? Guess who, you know, we just celebrate all these tiny things with our babies and our children, age-appropriate celebrations to keep them moving forward because it's that playfulness and that celebration that wires love into their existence and encourages them to keep moving forward because they feel successful. I didn't have to do anything to grow that tooth, but look at the celebration. I am accepted. I am invited. I am loved. I'm going to keep moving forward with joy. You know, that's what we want for our kids. That's what God wants for you and for me and for everyone who's listening who is recovering from trauma or caring for someone who is. Celebrate, keep it tiny, keep it consistent, and know that God is so proud of you for every tiny victory. And what are some specific examples of tiny habits as it relates to forgiveness? Oh, that's such a great one. Forgiveness. Yes. I I finished a book recently, and uh, forgive me for spacing her name, but she's the founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries, and she wrote a book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. 
And I highly recommend that one because it's one of the most, and I've done a lot of research on forgiveness, it's one of the most helpful resources for women and men of faith for forgiving things that you can't forget. And so a tiny habit that I created while reading her book for forgiveness, inspired by it, is a tiny prayer that I say. When I am prompted or triggered, we say prompted in behavior design, by a painful memory of what someone has done or said. This person could be living or dead, but I have a painful memory triggered by something in my environment, my context, and it hurts. You know, I might have a crying spell after I remember it, but the tiny habit that I created is every time I'm prompted by that specific pain, and you always have to think specifically about what caused the pain. So you remember the the pain The prompt is the feeling of sorrow or anger or fear or regret, right? And so you're prompted with that emotion. Our emotions create our habits. So in that instant, you can decide, am I going to respond or react? Because remember the the formula for human behavior, the behavior, the response, the reaction equals motivation, ability, and prompt. And so you're motivated by the prompt of your pain to take action based on your ability. So what tiny action can you choose in forgiveness? You can do a tiny prayer. You can say, Lord, I have already forgiven this person for this. But for whatever my feelings do not have capability to receive and walk in that forgiveness, wherever my feelings fall short, God, your blood covers. And I thank you for that. So it's a tiny prayer. God, your blood covered this too. And I thank you for that. So you're honoring the fact that, no, my feelings at this moment don't have the ability to, to, you know, to behave the way that I think I'm supposed to behave. But I have forgiven. In obedience and love, an example of my Lord, I've forgiven this person. And for whatever my feelings don't make allowance for, your blood covers. So that tiny prayer is your immediate response. And then you celebrate that by, I, I hug myself. I give myself a big hug and I say, well done, Junie. And I smile. Yes, I talk to myself all day long. Laura does it too. Whoever's listening, you do it too. We all talk to ourselves all day long. It's called thinking. But yeah, just do a tiny response. I hug myself tight. I hold myself, giving myself the hugs I didn't get when I was that scared little girl. And I say, well done, Junie. And I smile. And that tiny act of celebration produces the dopamine hit that we get from other things. Like for me, it was bubblegum ice cream at Baskin Robbins or cookies or whatever when I was fighting my sugar addiction that, praise God, I'm delivered from now. But, you know, I strategically fought it. But whatever tiny response or reaction that you make, if it's not helping you, if it's harming you and sowing more seeds of trauma and harm, tiny acts of self-betrayal into your life, that one needs to go. So replace it with a tiny reaction or response that's healing and helpful, like a tiny prayer, because that tiny prayer means that you are the type of person who chooses to lean into God instead of reacting and responding in ways that will just bring more harm into your story. And if the person is still alive who hurts you, you're going to sow seeds of harm into their story. You're going to play their game. You're going to let them continue to write their story, their abusive story on your back. And you don't want that. So you can always choose another tiny response and then just celebrate the fact that you did it. And incrementally, this will create what I call new lines of cognitive code in your brain. Uh, Neurogenesis and neuroplasticity are the neurological terms, but it's creating a new line of code in your brain toward healing and joy and faith and one keystroke after the next. A tiny keystroke in a line of code leads to the millions of lines of code that help our product systems and services to operate effectively when it comes to trauma recovery and mental health. That tiny little choice of healing and faith, it is like a tiny keystroke and you are on your way in the healing journey and glorifying God every tiny step of the way. That is so helpful and practical. And now will you tell us a little bit more about your journey to eventually studying behavioral design? Even though I was hosting a very successful morning, mainstream morning show here in Chicago, I moved to Chicago to host this morning show. And I did something that I quote, people don't do. I I quit my show because Laura, at the time, I'd had, you know, 15 going on 16 and a half years of full-time ministry, live radio experience. And the number one things that I was hearing from people over and over and over again is, I want to be more faithful. I love Jesus. I want to read the Bible more, but I just don't. I want to pray more, but I just don't. 
I want to reach my community for Christ, but I just don't. I want to be more hospitable, but I'm not. Over and over and over again from thousands and thousands of people via email, text, or live on the air, I heard my brothers and sisters in faith saying these things. And I kept, as a researcher and someone who just really loves discipleship and Jesus, I was like, Lord, what are we missing? And so when I started studying in person and full time and just really digging in with every spare moment I had to the science of behavior design, a.k.a. the science of love, God said, that's it. People just don't understand how human behavior was designed to work. And, you know, be cool if you, you know, if you want, Junie, you could, you could help. And so I came back from studying in person with Dr. Fogg and I said, OK, Lord, so what do I do? He said, well, you know, you'd have a lot more time if you quit your show. At the time, we were number six in the city of Chicago. We were only looking up, you know. Everything was right. We'd found our, you know, perfect chemistry. We 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 had the boom crew, we call them. And uh, that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. But I did. I resigned from the morning show and leaned full-time into behavior design. And God, he says that when you delight yourself in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the more you grow to love Jesus, the more Jesus becomes the desire of your heart. And so when you're faced with a decision like that, where God is telling you to take the leap, and he never requires it of you, because think about Esther, you know, if you say no, God's going to make a way. You know, he doesn't really need our help. Think back to the kiddos. You know, when we tell them, hey, let's bake cookies and they're getting flour everywhere, they're spilling everything. We don't really need their help, but we're inviting them to bake cookies with us. It's a shared communal experience that that reinforces the love. It's a tiny thing that builds the love in a household or a relationship. All that to say God doesn't need our help. He has need of nothing. He made the multiverse. He's the founder of the realms, you know, but he loves inviting his children to participate in his good work in this great universe. And so, you know, when God says something to you that seems impossible or hard, and it seems like, oh, God is forcing me to do this. He doesn't do that. Abusers force. God is not an abuser. So he invited me. He said, you want to take this leap? You know, I know I'm the delight of your heart, so you can do what you want. You can stay on the show and keep on kicking it, or you can take this leap and trust me in a brand new way. And I am so curious, Laura. I can't stand to think about what if I had or what if I hadn't. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to teach behavior design. And so I walked through that door and the doors that God opened when I made that decision are ridiculous. So I started and I thought, okay, this will be my thing. I'm going to be the faith girl in the tech community and I'm going to just teach behavior design all over the world. But then the Lord said, hey, 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 you know, what about, you know, your brothers and sisters? I was like, they don't want to hear this. And so I'm like, you know, you know, the church is not going to be open to this, Lord. And, you know, I'm having a lot of fun, doing pretty good at this behavior design thing. I started teaching at a startup called Codeverse on a mission to teach a billion kids to code. And so I was just, you know, living my life. And but you know how it is with the Lord. He's such a good father. He nudges you. He's like, you know what? I think you'd be really good at bringing this behavior design to other believers uh, for discipleship. He knows how to talk to me. I'm like, I do love discipleship, Lord. And so here I am. You are worth the work moving forward from trauma to faith, which is a symphony it's a symphonic collection of my gifts, and it's an offering that I'm making now to brothers and sisters in faith and carrying out tiny, tiny acts of love, first with yourself, because we're always going to overflow what's happening inside of us. One of my colleagues, Sharon Hirsch, she wrote a book called Belonging about recovering from the abuse of being in a relationship with someone who is a textbook narcissist. And she shares this truth that you it's impossible to get close to someone who's trying to stay in control. So if you're in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist, they're trying to stay in control because of their past trauma, and you're trying to get close to them because you love them. It's impossible to get close to someone who's trying to stay in control. And so take this back home. Take this back to your heart, your soul care, your mental health, which matters. And think about what areas of your life are you trying to stay in control of because of the prompts or the triggers in your day? There's something that triggers you to respond in a way that's a micro betrayal of the type of person that you want to be. It may be it manifest in maybe yelling at your, your spouse or your children. It may manifest in overeating a specific thing. Like for me, it was that bubblegum ice cream. How does that desire to stay in control manifest in your life in a tiny way? And the tiny little incremental things that lead to 
the diabetes or the relationship that is now cracked because of the outburst of anger, you know, what are the manifestations of that? They're really hard to miss. But what are the tiny little things that lead up to that? That's what we need to deal with on a heart issue. And so, again, getting back to being in control, you can't even get close to yourself and who you truly are if you're trying to stay in control. And you can definitely not get as close to God as you want to be if you're trying to stay in control. But once you start having these tiny successes, whether they be in matters of faith or fitness, mental health, trauma recovery, once you start having these tiny successes, the science has proven that success leads to success, change leads to change, change is a skill, and you will incrementally become the type of person that you most want to be. And you need to always remember that God is infinitely more interested in the type of person that you are becoming than any accomplishments or credentials you could ever achieve. The best thing about me is that I want to live in love like Jesus. And you don't need any letters behind your name to achieve that. And no one is more proud of you. No one's got a bigger picture of you on their fridge than God when that is your heart goal. But you can't get there the way you want to. Remember the listeners that I mentioned, Laura, that call, text, email, they're live on the air. I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. I want, I want, I want, but I'm not. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You just we're not taught how human behavior actually works. And we're not taught how to be loving and kind to ourselves and celebrate every victory. If you memorize one scripture a year, God is still dancing and, and singing and clapping for you. Pick something really quick and easy and tiny, like First Thessalonians 5, 16. It just says rejoice always. That's two words. If you every day wake up and say, Good morning, Father. I'm going to rejoice always. Not only are you greeting the day by talking to God first, but you're memorizing scripture and then say, yes, I got this. I'm doing this faith thing. That tiny little celebration is going to lead to another victory, another success. Success leads to success. We change best by feeling good, not bad. And that's how we overcome the world, Laura. It's really a lot of fun once you get really into it. I want to take a moment to say thank you. You are the reason our team gets to delight in this work, and we appreciate each of you so very much. If you're benefiting from the lessons learned and applied from the Savvy Sauce, would you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five-star ratings and reviews help us reach more people around the globe, and that promotes our goal of sharing joy. So join us in that endeavor with your valuable feedback. Thanks again for being here with us. The method for trauma recovery in your book uses tiny habits and data gathering. Can you explain both of those ideas and then share how these two things, when combined, can help survivors overcome trauma for good? So when it comes to trauma recovery, you are a full-time investigator. You are the Sherlock Holmes of your life, and you are discovering and gathering data on your specific story. You got to get to the root of it, and it's going to take some time and practice, but you just do what we say in the tech community. You gather up the data, and then you test, and you iterate. So discovery is so important to trauma recovery because if you don't slow down and find out the root and the source of that manifestation, the big thing, the behavior that's showing up in ways that you're not proud of or happy about. You think you're failing God, but I promise you, you're not. Just the fact that you're noticing, okay, this is a behavioral manifestation that I don't want in my life. The next thought should be, what is the root of this? What is the cause of this? And that can be a prayer. God is listening. He will always answer you. Then you must slow down to take that piece of evidence that you've gathered from the crime scene, no matter how tiny the piece of evidence is, find a way to slow down and get with God about that piece of evidence. Some of my favorite things to do is I, I always encourage people to make a tiny habits recovery toolkit. Um, have a journal of some sort. You can have a digital recorder. You can write down. I keep a little notebook. Have some way of journaling the prompt. What was the thing that triggered that feeling? that day, that moment, journal it and say, Lord, what is the root of this feeling, this emotion? Our emotions are a gift. You know, journal it and then get with God about it. Always commit to slowing down. That can be one of the first tiny behaviors that you adopt after listening to this podcast. Slow down and breathe. I am 
still in trauma recovery. I've been in trauma recovery since I was four years old. I love my PTSD trauma trained therapists that have helped me in my healing journey. I don't think I will ever, barring a miracle, not need a trauma recovery specialist in my life. But that's something that I can share from my journal during our next time together, you know, and it's something that God can give me answers on because I'm finally looking at this thing. The evidence is usually not pretty. If you think about the crime scene, there's a lot of yucky stuff on a crime scene, especially when it comes to childhood trauma. There's a lot of yucky stuff that you don't want to look at, but God will give you courage. So take that little piece of evidence prayerfully examine the evidence, get with God, slow down. And if you can't stop and slow down, like, you know, if I'm live on the air, I can't stop and slow down and process this trigger. But I can make myself a little note in my little book here that I have, you know, right here on my desk. And then later on, I can commit to make time with God to dig deeper and let him shine his light into those dark, hidden places. And I can say, Lord, heal my memory and help me learn how to respond to myself in a compassionate and loving way. So discovery is an important part, data gathering about your story and honoring every part of your story, even the yucky, mucky parts, so that God can heal them. Because if we try to smother them and hide them, it just echoes that pain and trauma into the next moment when we can gather it up that moment and let God redeem it instead. And are there any other specific steps you recommend that trauma survivors take to reprogram their minds? Oh, absolutely. I would suggest first, just commit to thinking tiny, dare to think tiny and celebrate that decision. Lord, I'm going to think tiny because you are the God who makes enormous things out of tiny things, molecules, atoms, bits of light. You know, God is a God of small, tiny things that lead to enormous things that, as the book of Acts says, turn the world upside down. So commit to thinking tiny. Be brave enough to do that. Think about the children in your life that you love. You love them and celebrate them based on their abilities. We're not going to ask three-year-olds to try and drive a car that can't even reach the pedals or see over the dash, you know? Love yourself. And based on the ability you have in that moment, celebrate that you are on a healing journey and that it's okay not to be okay. So it's a really practical thing to journal. It's also a very practical first step to start doing what I call an inventory of your allies in the healing journey. These are people who are safe. Now safe people are the ones that are excited for you when you get a win. They're the ones who recognize your gifting. You're just hanging out and they say, you know, you're really great at that and they mean it. There are safe people in your life, and those are the ones you need to lean into and invest your time in, not to use them as healers or anything like that, because we don't use, you know, we don't use people. I used to sit in church and cringe because I wasn't raised in the church. You know, when I started going to church, when I found out that there's a such thing as a church home and, you know, believers get together and do all this cool stuff in one place, it's called a church, you know, when I started really seeing what that's like in the West, because it's different in other countries, what the church looks like. But you know, I started hearing all the time from the pulpit, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And as a trauma survivor, complex trauma survivor, every time I heard it, I cringed and gritted my teeth because it's like, okay, God wants to use me. Tell him to take a number and get in line. You know, so you don't want to think that way about God. He loves you so much. He adores you. And everything he does is because of that love. I mean, he's very clear about this. I mean, look at John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy would be in you and your joy would be complete. Everything he says to us is because of love. So a good first step, journal. Do that discovery process we talked about. Get to the core, the root of that pain. And also find out who your allies are and text them or, or message them and say, hey, you know what? I really feel like God is telling me to share my story with you. Can we meet for coffee? Can we go for a walk? Because that's a safe person. And using the discovery process, you can double check. If you're not sure if they're safe, just take a look at their life for a week or two. You know, do they have healthy relationships that are growing and glowing? Are they true disciples? Do they really love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yeah, there are safe people in your life. God has strategically positioned them there. Remember Linda Jarvis from the carpool line. She was a safe person, strategically positioned in my life. A 17-year-old who has to think about grades, social pressure, and providing for her family. You know, God strategically positioned Miss Linda Jarvis in my life to give me that NIV study for teens. So do a safe people inventory and then pray for courage to reach out and say, hey, you know, God's told me that you're a safe person or you're someone that I can share my story with. Because the devil, 
the enemy of our souls, he wants you to stay quiet. That darkness, that silence keeps you sick. But when you speak it out, you start in tiny ways unraveling, as we say in behavior design, that habit of isolation that sows harm into your journey. And you speak it out and it loses power because you realize that speaking it out won't destroy you and actually makes a tiny little space in your soul and spirit so God can shine his light and healing can begin and continue. And how does this reprogramming of our minds result in the abundant life that God wants for each of us? (laughs) Now, here in the West or in any westernized consumerism culture, we want it fast. We want it quick. You know, we love our (laughs) infomercials. It worked for me. It'll work for you. No, (laughs) throw that out. It's never go big or go home in God's economy. It's tiny. It's incremental. So the manifestations of these tiny decisions are tiny. You're going to feel that little dopamine hit that you get from celebrating with sincerity, celebrating. Just say, yes, I'm doing this thing. You have to customize your celebration that what what works best for you. I like to do a tiny happy dance. And if you have any kids around you, uh, this was really fun at Codeverse when I was teaching those kids at Codeverse because we did dance parties all the time. And it was just built into our curriculum, dance party. If you coded one line of code, you know, we could cue the music and everybody would dance. And that child who may have thought I could never code I mean, these are kids from all walks of life. Some of them would come through and we made it so that anyone could afford to come. You know, this isn't just for, you know, some kids, this is for you. If you thought you couldn't learn to code because some bully in your life told you you were stupid or it was, you know, too hard, you just coded a line of code. Cue the dance party. You know, it's a tiny celebration that is so fun. And it doesn't matter if we only dance for five seconds. Everyone's cheering and it wires the new habit into your brain and you feel successful. So one of my favorite tiny habits is I just do a little dance party. And if you have any kids in your environment, they love to join you. Or if they're too old to join you, like my 15-year-old, they will giggle at you. And guess what? Giggling is a shine celebration that happens in community. And you're both getting some of that shine. We call it the feeling of shine, the medical, you know, or the neurological terms would be, it's a dopamine hit. We're all familiar with how this works because if you spend any time on social media, anytime somebody clicks like or hits that little star on your post, you get some instant affirmation. And humans need affirmation as much as we need air, food, and water. So your tiny celebrations give you the power back. You get to celebrate whatever you want to celebrate that's good and helpful and tiny. It will give you the same dopamine hit that will wire the new habit into your brain. So incrementally over time, think about planting a seed. We say this all the time. You plant a seed in the right soil and it will grow without coaxing. Does that remind you of something Jesus said, Laura? (laughs) Sounds like a parable. Right. But, you know, we teach it. As a behavior design teaching team, we teach it. You sow a seed in the right soil and it will produce a harvest without coaxing. So as a behavior designer, it's important for me to tell you how we define behavior. Behavior is a type of person doing a specific action in a specific context. So you start with the type of person that you want to be. What type of person do you want to be? And does the behavior that you're choosing in response to the prompt of your pain, align with the type of person you and God want you to be. Is that reaction or response a loving, healing, self-journey, honoring, compassionate choice? Or is it sowing more harm into your story? What type of person would you like to be? And if you succeed in that instant, even in a tiny, tiny way, if you make a tiny mission statement, I am an encourager, and you decide to write a sticky note with a word of affirmation to your spouse and put it on their dashboard so they see it first thing, hey, you're awesome and I appreciate you. I am an encourager. Therefore, I will write a sticky note for my spouse or my loved one that they'll see first thing. And then I will celebrate while I'm putting the sticky note on the dash. I'll say, yes, I'm an encourager. That tiny celebration wires your identity in one tiny choice at a time. And you also get to build relationships in ways that you'd never expect. You know, if you're a baker and you like to bake, like my little sister Mariko, she's an MD psychiatrist, but her one of her love languages, I think they should add like a fifth love language, and it should be food. My younger sister Mariko, who is an MD, she loves to bake. And even through med school, she was the student that showed up with 
a tray of brownies or or cupcakes. And so that was her being true to who God made her to be and expressing it in a creative way. So I am an excellent baker. Therefore, I will bake cupcakes for my neighbors today and deliver them. And if delivering them is too much too soon, too much social too soon, then just bake cupcakes for people that you, you know, you're safe people and then text them and say, hey, I, I baked a bunch of cupcakes today. You want one? And then, you know, they'll come see you or you go see them or, you know, whatever. But just Remember who the type of person you want to be and then walk that out. Live that out in tiny ways all throughout your day. You know, if the big wedding or the honeymoon was enough, the numbers would be different when it comes to marriage. Even among believers, the tiny things are what really matter. And Junie, you have so much more to offer. So can you share where everyone can find and follow you online? Oh, yes. Thank you. The easiest way and the one place, one stop place is my website. It's juniefelix.com. J-U-N-I. Felix. Like fix it, Felix. Oh, from Wreck-It Ralph. (laughs) So it's juniefelix.com. I just did a little tiny happy dance. You can't see me there, but I'm celebrating. Juniefelix.com. You can also, if you have the YouVersion app, do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh yeah. I love that app. The YouVersion Bible app, just type my name, select plans, and then type my name, Junie Felix, or type Tiny Habits into the plans. And there's a three-day plan there that can help you start your celebration journey really quick and simple right there in the YouVersion app. So those are my two favorite ways. Also, you can find me on Instagram, just Junie Felix, or on my encouragement page for Tiny Habits for Successful Soul Care. But if you just look for Junie Felix, you can click on the link and get there right away. Uh, so many ways for us to get involved and share the healing journey because I learned so much from you as you share courageously your healing journey and, and some of the things that you do to gain victory in tiny ways and, you know, some of those bigger ways too, the ones that aren't so easy to sustain, but I love the tiny. Well, we will certainly link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode. And you may know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so is my final question for you today, Junie. What is your savvy sauce? Thank you. It changes depending on the season that I'm in. And so right now, my savvy sauce is one of my newest favorite tiny habits. When I feel overwhelmed at the thought of promoting this book, I immediately respond with a tiny behavior of saying any or all of the 23rd Psalm. So three times a day is the minimum for me with the 23rd Psalm, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once before bed. But even if I just say, Lord, you are my shepherd, I lack nothing. Success. So my savvy sauce right now is the 23rd Psalm. I love it. And your life captures the abundance and healing and restoration that the Lord longs to offer each of us in his graciousness. So thank you for sharing your journey with us today. And thank you for being my guest. I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me, Laura. You're awesome. And God bless you and your team. I will be adding you to my prayer wall, which is another one of my tiny habits. I have this huge prayer wall and I just lay hands on it. And just say, Lord, you know each and every need. You are the answer to every request. So I'll be praying for you all. And I'm so thankful for this wonderful healing work that you're doing. Thank you for encouraging people to go to therapy. That's a big one. Thank Mm. you. (laughs) Oh, that is my pleasure. But wow, what a great idea with the prayer wall. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're so welcome. You have to get a big prayer wall when you get lots of prayer requests. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) That's so good. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us 
so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.